Welcome to the Gospel Reverb Podcast. Gospel Reverb is an audio gathering for preachers, teachers, and Bible thrill seekers. Each month, our host, Anthony Mullins, will interview a new guest to gain insights and preaching nuggets mined from select passages of Scripture in that month's Revised Common Lectionary. The podcast's passion is to proclaim and boast in Jesus Christ, the one who reveals the heart of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now, on to the episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to the latest episode of Gospel Reverb. Gospel Reverb is a podcast devoted to bringing you insights from Scripture found in the Revised Common Lectionary and sharing commentary from a Christ-centered and Trinitarian view. I'm your host, Anthony Mullins, and I'm delighted to welcome this month's guest, Rex Delapena. Rex graduated from Ambassador College in Big Sandy, Texas in 1994 and became a ministerial trainee in the Philippines right after graduation. He served as the National Youth Ministry Coordinator and directed SCP Youth Camps for 15 years. He was ordained as a minister of the gospel in 1999 and now serves in the capacity of Leadership Development Coordinator. Last year, he finished his MA in Transformative Spirituality from the Asian School of Development and Cross-Cultural Studies. He is working on his PhD, man, what an overachiever, with an emphasis on postmodern <laughs> Filipino counseling, particularly in formational prayer and spiritual direction. He resides in Baguio City with his wife, Sheila, and they have been married for 24 years. And I have known Rex since 1990, so we go a long way back. I love my brother. Yes. We are getting yes. old, my man, but it we is are, super fun are. to have this conversation <laughs> with you today. Rex, thank yeah. you for joining us. Welcome to the podcast. And for those in our listening audience who may not be familiar with you, we'd, we'd love to know a little bit about your story. Tell us about Rex. Yeah, thank thank you, Anthony. Um, well, I'm I'm based here in in Baguio City, and uh, you've been here, I think, in 2016. Correct. And, yeah, and it's it's great to be here. It's great to be uh, in a place where you can really help people, and in the process, get to understand your own journey as well. And yeah, just like what you, what you uh, what we talked about before. I am a what you would call that uh, a lover of dogs. Mm. Yes, and uh, you mentioned that I I was able to finish my uh, master's in transformative spirituality, but I was telling Sheila that the other half of the diploma should go to my Labrador Skippy because uh, he would always attend the Zoom classes with me. <laughs> Did he learn a lot in the process? Uh, I think he he enjoyed sleeping a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's it. Um, I'm looking forward to sharing more of these stories with you when you and Elizabeth come over here. Well, we'd love to come back. We had such an amazing experience, um, not only with you and Sheila, but all the the brothers and sisters in yeah. the Philippines. It was just. One of those uh, experiences that we will remember for a lifetime, and you're a great host. And by the way, you have a fantastic laugh, and hopefully that'll come out as we have this conversation <laughs> here today. One of the ba best well, laughs I've ever heard. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's get to the passages. We have four um, pericopes to unpack together. The first one is Luke chapter 14, 25 through 33. We'll call it Gospel Priorities. It's for proper 18 in ordinary time, that is September the 4th. 
Luke 15, 1 through 10, lost and found on proper 19 on September the 11th. Luke 16, 1 through 13, trustworthy, which is proper 20 on September 18th. And then Luke 16, 19 through 31, the chasm within, which is on proper 21, which is September the 25th. I'll read our first pericope, Luke chapter 14, 25 through 33. It's from the New International Version. It is the Revised Common Lectionary Passage for Proper 18 in Ordinary Time on September the 4th. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now, Rex, Jesus here has a very interesting way of recruiting disciples Mm -hmm. uh, by telling them the ways they cannot be his disciple. (laughs) Um, What do you make of this high calling Jesus gives us as disciples? It's, It's very different from how our leaders would recruit people to follow them. Whereas here, if you, Jesus, if Jesus is recruiting people and he, he's laying down all these qualifications or criteria, the immediate response of people, maybe perhaps people who are reading this now, they're like, man, it's making it, he's making it really difficult for me to follow him, especially when, you know, when he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate. And a lot of people would need to understand um why it was uh, worded that way I and mean, it says if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother wife children it's like hate everybody including yourself but uh no but we can understand that this is not about your emotion it's about your attitude it's about your mode of action toward the people you care most about it doesn't mean that uh, you hate them it well, we, we read in Matthew 10.37, Matthew 10.37, soften that line. And for us, we understand it now as to love them less. That Jesus is your number one priority. Of course, you love your parents, your brothers, your family. But that relationship, all of the relationships we have, they take second priority. Jesus is going to be... Is going to be our all in all. And this is a very challenging criteria because come to think of it, many times we are torn between what we need to take care of, our priorities, our plans, our goals. But Jesus Christ here is telling us that we need to make that choice. We need to make that commitment that part of it is 
counting the cost and it cost that much to follow Jesus. Remember, remember here, large crowds were traveling, were following him. And then Jesus turned around and said, hey, if anyone wants to follow me, do this. Or unless you do this, you cannot be my disciple. And I'm just wondering, how did they react? You know, uh, what? You're, you're, making it, you're, you're making it more difficult for us to, to follow you. But, but for now, we can understand that when we consider being a follower of Jesus, we really need to, to count the cost. What are we doing? What are we going to prioritize? Uh, what are the things in our lives that we need to sacrifice or to let go of? It's interesting to me, Rex, that, uh, you know, as we think about this passage, Christologically, um, Christ-centered, Jesus is never asking us to do something that we don't see inherent in him. Yes. In other yes. words, in his own journey on earth, we see him doing these very things he's saying with his own family. Yes. Um, you know, the, many of his own family members didn't believe <laughs> him yeah. in terms of who he was, but he, in obedience to the Father, uh, went to his death, even death on a cross. Yeah. And that had to be painful for his own family, but his priority was the father's priorities for his life. And I think we see what he's saying in reality in Jesus, don't we? Yeah, and and whoever does not carry their cross, uh, just like what you said, uh, Jesus did not say did not say these things uh, as if you know it, it was a, it was something that he wasn't going to do. Yes. Uh, well, he did. He, he carried that cross and he's calling us to do the same, mm. uh, to consider the, the, the spiritual sacrifice. That, it's like marriage, you know, you don't approach it haphazardly. You really think about it. Uh, what can I give? What, how can I really uh, follow through with my commitments? What do I need to realign or reorder in my life or recenter in my life so that I can do this. And the example here of uh, building a tower, uh, estimating how much money it would cost to complete it, or even a king going to war. It's, it's, just, it's just us being mindfully aware of the cost because we really need to understand that we need to count the cost in the light of who Jesus is as well. Mm -hmm. That he is the God who never gives up, despite all the, the challenges we may face, despite the discouragement we may face. We can count all those things, but we can be encouraged knowing that he, we are not alone, that Jesus Christ is the one who's leading us, who's taking care of us. He's our victory in all of these things. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and that's why we cannot, we cannot follow him on our own. He's the one who strengthens us. Who yes. is strengthening us to follow him and to even and to even follow through in those commitments? You've mentioned counting the costs several times now, and I'm curious. We know that all Scripture points to Jesus. He said so himself as he was walking with the brothers on the Emmaus Road. Um, I, I, I'm curious. How can we interpret counting the cost in light of the God revealed in Jesus Christ? If we can understand. Uh, or even just reflect on on what Jesus did, how much uh, sacrifice he offered so that we can 
totally understand the depth of his love and his sacrifices would always point to us that the victory has been won for us. It's a done deal. We just need to appropriate in our lives all, all the things that have been promised for us and walk with courage that we're not doing this uh, out of our own strength, but it's, it's him. It's Jesus Christ sustaining us. We count the cost. In other uh, studies about this word, uh, I, I, heard a, I heard a pastor said counting the cost could, would also mean uh, bringing along our unlikeness, how far we are from the image of Jesus, bringing all of these things, our imperfections, all our, our uh, brokenness, bring them all as we follow Jesus Christ. Because in the process of uh, following in the process of obeying and surrendering, we become transformed uh, mm -hmm. into his image. Yeah. Bring our whole self, right? That is what courage yes. is, wholeheartedness, um, our yes. whole self. So as I think about this pericope, Rex, um, you know, following Jesus is walking as he walks by the Spirit. And, and sometimes we call that discipleship. And I'm just curious, as you exegete this passage, what really is discipleship about? For me, discipleship is about following Jesus. It's about surrendering our relationships to him. Discipleship means giving up anything that takes uh, precedence, uh, over Jesus Christ in my life. That means anything that gives me identity or security because he is to be, he's to be my all in all. Hmm. And, but, you know, this is not predicated upon my ability to do all, all these things. But I'm reminded of Philippians 1, 6. Uh, it's the, the deeper realization that Jesus has already started the work in us. And he will be faithful to complete it. It's about walking, a, a daily walk with Jesus, uh, asking Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Or where do you want me to join you? Hmm. What are you telling me today? What do I need to surrender to you now? What do I have to give? And it, it's, it's a real intimate uh, relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not discipleship um, sometimes... Sometimes people get uh, a little triggered by the mm -hmm. word discipleship because uh, it can mean for many people like a very structured uh, program. It, it's about following Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's about knowing, knowing Him. It's about experiencing Him. It, it's about you know when, when we tell when we pastors say you know the Lord loves you. That for us when we say that. That is an experiential reality for us rather than a theological concept. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a daily walk that, uh, you know, uh, Jesus, uh, lead me today. Uh, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Use me in according to your uh, divine pleasure. Use me today. Mm. Uh, make me a, a vessel, whatever, whatever you can do. Yeah. Yeah. This, there is a, a big gap, is there not, between knowing about Jesus mm -hmm. and knowing yeah. Jesus relationally. And and we think about the triune persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, they're persons, uh, as 
as in their personal. So of course the walk is mm-hmm. going to be personal, is it not? And yeah. I, I appreciated what you said. Sometimes we can be so structured yeah, and structure matters. Don't get me wrong, but we can right. be so structured that it almost squeezes the life out of just walking with him in the, the cool of the evening, you know, mm-hmm. hearkening back to Genesis uh, and just talking with the Lord in that way. So, yeah, that, no, that's good. Thank you, Rex. Well, let's move on to our next passage. It's going to be Luke chapter 15, 1 through 10. It is a revised common lectionary passage for proper 19 in ordinary time, which is September the 11th. Rex, would you read it for us, please? Uh, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp? sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There goes that man again, Rex, eating with sinners and welcoming them. What? What does this tell us about this God that we see in Jesus? Uh, From this passage, it's all about people or things being lost and being found and rejoicing for what was lost and and now found and they're found. And uh, tax collectors and, you know, the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus. And what this passage tells us is that Jesus is a God who is not intimidated by sinners. In fact, he reaches out and welcomes them. The woman uh, finding the coin, uh, the shepherd uh, finding the one sheep, uh, living the 99. And what that tells me is that we are all valuable to him, that he's willing to search for us. And one person said, if he's willing to leave the 99 is it the shepherd making the 99 feel so unsafe but that's another uh, altogether uh, study on the on the cultural background of the time but the fact that jesus christ or that shepherd is willing to really go out and to just really search for that um one sheep or that one coin tells me uh, that Jesus is just really showing how much loved we are. We are important. We are valuable in his sight. You know, I've heard it said that if 
if Jesus didn't dine with sinners, he would always eat alone, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I'm glad he, he welcomes me and eats with me and, and certainly is my sustenance uh, on a day to day basis. Yeah. And, and then, and the, and the imagery of him eating with sinners that that is just that is a powerful image mm. of of him being able to relationally accept them yeah that they are they are still they are, they are love I, i'm just trying to put myself in a situation where for example i have done a huge mistake or i have offended the person or or something and then this person would still ask me out or, let, let's eat let's share a meal that would communicate so much love. That would communicate forgiveness. That would communicate, hey, you know, everything is going to be all right. Eating together is such a powerful image of a community and even worth it. Mm-hmm. For a sinner to be eating with Jesus, that's, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm, thinking... I'm ready. To, I'm ready to be in that banquet. Yes, yes, amen and amen. I, I, I'm getting the imagery in my mind, Rex, about the condescension of Jesus. Meaning, you know, mm-hmm. in his incarnation, he came to us. He came yes. into the far country, and to sit down and dine with us is to, in one sense, to condescend. But that's what love does. It's much like a, a parent getting down on the floor with their their young child and playing mm-hmm. with them. You know, you condescend because love, love goes down. Word, yes. if you will, yes. and um, thanks be to God that that's who He is, yes. and therefore I I think Jesus would say go and do likewise, you know, not out of a hey this is a legalistic perspective, but this is what love does, right? And that's mm-hmm. all God can do is act out of who He is, yes. and He is love, and therefore that's why we see this imagery of the shepherd with the sheep. So tell us more. What what would you want? pastors, preachers, and teachers, and, and Bible students to, to know about the parable of the lost sheep? I, I'd like to highlight um, verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder. So he lays it on his shoulder. I, I, could, I could just visualize here the sheep. The sheep is too weak to return on its own. And there are times when, when we as pastors need to understand that some of our some of our friends, some some of the people in the church, may have you know put it in quote, may have lost their way, and may feel too too weak or too embarrassed or feel too guilty to return on their own. But Jesus Christ is modeling for us that there is so much joy when a lost is found. And there is a, you know, it's, it's in that passage, there's a glaring contrast with, with the religious leaders who grumble. But Jesus Christ is showing us the intense joy of uh, having someone being brought back. That's why it's consistent in the, the three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. You know, the idea of searching. There was that song, Anthony, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, with this song. It's called, when God ran. Hmm. Have you heard of that? I have. And 
the idea that God is searching, God is looking, and the idea that we are we have been found, and many times we cannot, maybe out of shame, out of guilt, out of our weaknesses, we feel as if we don't deserve to be brought back, or whatever situation we may have right now where we feel we're not worthy to be loved or to be accepted, and the idea of the shepherd placing the sheep on his shoulder. I would like to imagine the, me being the sheep and uh, Jesus Christ carrying me on his shoulder when, when I, am, I feel lost, when I don't know what to do, when I feel alone or I feel rejected, where you question your worth, you know, I don't belong to the hundred and you know, they're the 99, they're the good ones and mm. I'm the bad one here, you know. Yeah. Uh, I didn't make the cut. <laughs> But Jesus Christ is uh, always ready to welcome us back. And not only that, when we are too weak, just like this uh, shepherd, he places, he lays it on his shoulder. I would like our listeners to understand that Jesus Christ is always ready to pick you up. Jesus Christ is always ready and willing because that's how much he loves us. And there are times when, you know, we, we look at our, we look at our, what we have done or, you know, the output of our hands. And we look at ourselves as not enough. Jesus Christ is always willing, always willing. And that there's that intense joy. Could you imagine a God who delights in you? Hmm. Especially when you are not, I'll put it quote, yeah. You are not yeah. performing, you know, how, how some people would feel that they need to earn the, the grace or they cannot accept fully the grace. That's why they still need to, they feel as if they still need to do something. So at least it's, they were able to have a share in whatever uh, they're enjoying right now in terms of their relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm. But you know, as I'm looking back over verse five, Rex, you know, you Jesus joyfully, yeah. puts the the lost sheep on his shoulder and I, I I've mentioned this story in a previous podcast but it bears repeating I at the time of this recording my my wife Elizabeth and I just visited with her parents in West Virginia <laughs> over the weekends Jim and Sandy are their names and mm-hmm. Elizabeth's favorite story to tell from her childhood is when she got lost at a church festival with there are thousands of people there wow. and it took her parents and the extended family quite a while to find her. And you can imagine the fear that was creeping up in their parents. You know, we've lost our girl, our baby girl, the youngest of two. And, um, you know, they finally found her and um, her dad took her into a room and everybody thought, that's where she was going to get punished because right. how dare you run off from us? Yeah. Why weren't yeah. you paying attention? <laughs> yeah. And she loves telling that her dad uh, knelt down to look her in the eye and said, you know, everybody expects me to punish you, mm. but I'm just so glad I found you. <laughs> and he hugs her. And I mean, yeah. you can imagine even for a young girl, as Elizabeth was at the time, how much that taught her about a father's love. Wow. And ultimately points to, 
you know, our heavenly father who loves us yeah. with an intensity that goes beyond any earthly father. Right. Yeah. So I just think yeah. that kind of bears or highlights this reality that God just rejoices mm. um, to carry mm. us home. Right. Yeah. And, and as a, uh, let me add as, as uh, pastors, as ministry workers or as under, under shepherds, I mean, through, I pray that through the Spirit we may participate in the heart of God for those who still need to really know Him. That yeah. uh, may we have that welcoming Spirit of Jesus towards people who struggle, people who may have stumbled, people who may have messed it up, who may have messed up their lives, or simply people who may not have it all together. It's, it's basically all of us anyway. <laughs> and uh, may, may we share in the joy. You know, the passage says there's such intense joy. Yes. Uh, may, we, may we share in that joy and yes. celebrate when one who has been lost has been found. What else would you encourage preachers and teachers to focus on from this passage, Rex, if anything? That, that our encouragement is uh, Jesus alone. When sometimes, uh, some, I remember someone, someone said, uh, I've been preaching uh, sermons for 30 years, and it seems as if um, nothing's changed. Uh, their, their lives are not changed. And um, this this preacher basically asks, "Is it worth it?" And the encouragement that that he received was that yes, because it's the work of Jesus. It's uh, Jesus is ha was really happy when when we preach in and out of season for those people who are struggling, mm -hmm. and 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 we preach. We preach the, the message for uh, people who are doing well in their lives and those who are down and out. But the, the call for us to, there is a call for us to really go for those who are, who are hurting, those who are feeling lost. And this is a very, a very difficult task sometimes because there are times when the people who need help the most are the ones who will re who will reject us first. But if we can also share in in the in the passion of Jesus in His love in searching for these people and making them feel loved and welcome despite uh, all of these challenges, uh, I think that's uh, the encouragement that. We have Jesus, and there are times when we may feel like we're not able to help a lot of people who are hurting, but being able to simply participate in that, even experience how Jesus would bring a person back, how Jesus would heal and renew and transform, uh, we're just invited to to join. And then in the process, 
really see the, the wonderful works of his hands in transforming the lives of so many people. Mm. Sheep who are lost and being carried. And I am just imagining what, what the, the story you shared about Elizabeth. And because back in the day when it was really all about being disciplined, right? Mm. Being uh, your steps are measured, I remember when, when uh, you are more scared of the ushers <laughs> because <laughs> you know. Uh, so, but but uh, yeah, I could just imagine where where people expected uh, Elizabeth's dad to really be harsh, and I think that's a very very powerful story. Many times, uh, people in general have that impression that God is like that. Mm. That he is angry. That he is very exacting. That he is watching over our shoulder to see if we are taking off the right list. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a good word. I'm encouraged. Um by this and you know it's isn't it beautiful um how the spirit ministers to us through scripture i mean we we can get so familiar with some of these parables and stories of our lord mm. and yet to be refreshed and renewed once again by scripture is such a beautiful thing well let's transition to our next pericope which is luke chapter 16 1 through 13 it is the Revised Common Lectionary Passage for Proper 20 in Ordinary Time, which is on September the 18th. And it reads, Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe the master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Mm. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
verse two tells us, Rex, to give an account of your management. <laughs> you know what? My yeah. experience is most people dread mm. hearing, come to the principal's office or yes. we yeah. need to talk or the mm-hmm. boss wants to see you, man. It, it mm-hmm. can just elicit anxiety right away. Yes. So mm. why, why do we fear... <laughs> being held in accounts <laughs> because, because uh, there is a big part of us that feels we are not able to measure up hmm. that uh, uh, when you're called like that you know we fear being held in account because, you know what did i do wrong we're, we're focused on uh, my mistake or what did i miss because usually when we are called by our superiors <laughs> uh, especially in that in that tone of a voice <laughs> oh yes. well, you know it's like uh give me an account of your manager uh, you know so i think it's uh i think it's uh, by default that we look at ourselves as not good enough so when so when someone asks us about something, whether it's a report or it's a computation or it's whatever we're supposed to to finish or a project, and there is that fear that is this good enough? Is this uh, something that's possible? Uh, is this something you know? I'm 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 a student right now, and I think you are too, right, Anthony? I am. Yes. Yeah. So when <laughs> when you turn in your paper and you, you look at your paper and you try to see uh, the comments. And I remember even in, in college where you look for the red marks, you know, mm, yes. <laughs> you look for the uh, encircled uh, sentences. <laughs> and then and then no matter how well how well you have done, uh, sometimes that one little red mark could really throw you off and you know so it's it's not no one's gonna say hey come on uh you know uh call me and and ask me uh ask me for an account of your management you know uh if if you are if you are a fiscal manager or just like uh, what we have in this passage you know he knew he was gonna find out he will be caught and he did uh, wasting the money of uh, of his boss, but what's amazing here is that he was he was commended, mm-hmm. and that's why that's why this parable is uh, it really needs to be studied well, because if you just read it, uh, your first reading would be like what you'd be asking what uh, this is this dishonest uh, steward. And yet, it's being commended. It doesn't make sense. Um, what's interesting here is that in Luke 16, um, 8, the sons of this world. And there's that comparison, the sons of this world and the sons of light. It, it's a, uh, a distinction. I think it's a Jewish category of uh, delineating good people. The good, the the a question that we need to ask is why was he commended, or why was he commended after all all these things? I, I, it's uh, getting clearer here 
that he was commended for his foresight. Not he was not being commended for his wickedness, but for his foresight to take care of his earthly future. And there is that call for us. I think I'm answering this the, the second question here, but there is that point where we as Christians need to be as determined, as focused when we consider our 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 life in eternity hmm. our eternal life need to be as determined need to be as uh, be very focused on on the priority of uh, on our priorities of uh, making sure that our lives become an expression of who we are in Jesus yeah yeah i think uh, sometimes accountability is seen in a negative light, uh, but accountability is not persecution. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's uh, the Lord wants us to grow up into the head who is Christ to mature in him. And I, you know, we always go back to the question, right? Who is God? Mm-hmm. Who is Jesus? Who is the spirit? Who is the father? And we realize in giving an account of ourselves, we, as you've already vividly and uh, very eloquently talked about the love of God. Uh, there's nothing to fear, you know, in being held in account. Mm-hmm. I mean, we will all give an account, right? And it, I, yes. I think on some level it is going to be excoriating, not because God doesn't love us, but we'll see, you know, mm-hmm. and, and be thankful for what God has done for us mm-hmm. to wipe the debt. Um, uh, so in that way, I long for it, but uh yeah, this, you know, it's interesting. Jesus talks so much about fearing not um, because he knows us. He, he, I mean, he's, he's human and he knows what the human experience and condition is like. Um, so we're going to have fear, but the mm-hmm. more that we focus on our Lord, that fear begins to slowly mm-hmm. dissipate and know that um, he has given an account of, for, for us, and his account yeah. says that he loves us, and yeah. hallelujah, praise God for that. You know, the scripture goes on to say that no slave can serve two masters, and I hear that a lot. Mm. Um, sometimes it's preached well, sometimes not. What What is the big deal, <laughs> and how can we, um, you know, think through that statement? Mm. Uh, yes. Um, I think uh, for me, uh, if I'm going to uh, explain this to a person right next to me, I would begin with asking, "What's the most important? What's the most important thing in your life?" Because uh, Jesus is making the contrast between serving God and serving uh, Mammon, and He's the one who already told us that you cannot serve both. God and money. Hmm. He's already telling us. Um, And uh, Jesus is talking about what we serve or what we worship. Clearly, some people serve money, but we are are very much uh, encouraged to really think again and ask that we are to serve God. 
that uh, that we need to make sure that we really need to be make, make making sure in our hearts that we are not serving mammon and money. And the question is, so how how can you tell? How can people serve money? Because typically we'll just say, I own it, I I spend it. Uh, I'm not serving it, but when we see it as uh, having its power over us, when when we see money as a source of our security, a source of things that uh, we want, we need, you know, when people work so hard to obtain it and treasure it, of course, and all of these things would indicate that money is worthy of all my energy, my time, and my attention. And there are times when money is looked at uh, looked at as uh, security for the future, or even as uh, something that's very essential, or even you know like uh, there's so much fear going on in the world right now. And what's the first thing that a lot of people could just uh, think about is you know. Uh, I will be, I will be unscathed mm-hmm. if uh, I have all these riches to protect me. That's how people serve money when money becomes everything for them. Yeah. But uh, the next question is: Would be well, how much do we value our relationship with God? How do we look at God? Is He really our security? Is He is God really? Uh, the source of all things that we need and want, do we treasure him? Are we so compelled by by his love for us that all of the things that we have, time, money, talent, possessions, and all that, are offered to him? That's a good word and a, uh, a very relevant word for uh, our time, Rex. Thank you. Our final pericope is Luke chapter 16, 19 through 31. It is the revised common lectionary passage for proper 21 in ordinary time, which is September 25th. Rex, read it for us, please. Okay. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, 
Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Rex, I mentioned in a recent podcast that when we come to parabolic teachings, we have to come with an open mind. Often you'll hear people say, well, this parable means such and such clearly. <laughs> and mm. I think clearly, I'm not sure. Mm. Um, so let me ask you this, rich man and Lazarus, let's first start with the gospel. Where do we see good news in the preaching of this text? There is that connotation or where people uh, think in their minds that you are blessed by the Lord when you have riches. Mm -hmm. That um, being rich or having all, all these goods uh, that you're enjoying in, in your life right now, would indicate being loved more by God, being blessed more by God. And, and those, uh, you know, just like Lazarus, Lazarus is uh, begging, covered with sores, uh, is just basically longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, that they are not loved by the Lord. They are way too far from, from the blessings that God could could give to anyone. You know, in thinking about that, Rex, I I'm struck how um, <laughs> the rich man is still trying to get Lazarus to serve him, mm. kind of in this us and them context, mm. which we we love to do that as human beings, don't we? Put people in category and think they're less mm. than and they're more than. But Jesus' teachings seem to invest so much time describing the difference between wealth and poverty, rich and poor. And, of course, as you just pointed out, it turns things on its head upside down. Mm. You know, who mm. we think are blessed uh, mm. really might be um, standing alone in darkness in a way that they don't recognize. So why do you think Jesus invests so much of his time talking about um, the rich and the poor? Because it's easy for it's easy for uh, wealth to or riches to take our attention, our centered presence or awareness. It's easy for wealth to become a god in our lives, whereas uh, poverty, uh, being poor, and uh, being deprive of uh, these things that this rich man is enjoying can can open our hearts to the reality how much we need the Lord, how, how much we are dependent on Him for everything. So there is that danger. Um, Jesus is talking about the dangers of uh, wealth and the difference between earthly wealth and, and uh, heavenly. 
if I may use that, heavenly wealth. And it's easy for uh, the wealth that we may have accumulated to be our sense of security and even our identity, even our source of uh, pride, um, even uh, entitlement. That's why even this uh, rich man, you know, uh, have pity on me, but uh, please send Lazarus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's still, yeah. you know, he's still a slave, you know, he's yes. still a beggar. So send him because I, I can't take it. I can't take it anymore. Or, okay, okay, since you won't uh, ask him to do what I'm requesting you to do, but can you just at least send him to my family? Mm. It's still, you know, uh, uh, do it uh, do it for me. Uh, you can. Uh, a rich person has so much entitlement that could just send people, uh, use people to, to do their bidding. And... It's a it's a very interesting where when we look at this this passage talking about there's the bridge across the chasm and when the when the rich man said but if someone from the dead goes to them they will repent and Abraham responds if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the from the dead for me the point of this parable. This is not about not about the portrayal of heaven and hell. I think we really need to be careful not to just use this passage as, as such. But um, judgment against uh, the leadership of the of the time, even perhaps the selfish rich people of all times, and the focus here is that in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He has always been reconciling the world to himself. He's the one who can cross that bridge it's like from here to us or from us to you. But he's the only one who can, who can cross that bridge and reconcile us to him. Mm. Not our wealth, not our poverty. Anthony, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of context here sometimes uh, in, in our in our culture here or some the thinking that you can't even use your money to gain favor uh, ask God the favor but it's not that it's not it's not your money or a person who is uh, the outcast of the society can can use his situation as even a, a form of entitlement see I have nothing in this world so you're supposed to bless me now if you're a God, then if you love me, then uh, you're supposed to bless me. But it's not that. It's about him reaching out to us. It's about him uh, bridging, crossing the bridge for us. Yeah. I, he is the vicarious man who did for us what we Amen. could not do for ourselves. Yes. Hallelujah. That he is the one who entered into the far country and took us with him <laughs> to the Father. Mm. And I... I can't help as I'm as I'm hearing you talk and looking at this passage again, just how wealth can blind us to the reality of mm. how things are. You know, mm. Lazarus is uh, still looked down upon, but the rich man he, he's not in a great place, but he can't even see it really. He yeah. he um, he thinks things are still the the way that he imagines them to be, and that that's part of the. Um, the myth, isn't it, that, you know, mm. as you talked about earlier, that 
you know, wealth means blessing from God. But if that's the case, mm. Rex, mm. then Jesus himself wasn't blessed. If we're going to use that metric, mm. because he was born to yes. a peasant family, mm. you know, born in a in a, a manger, uh, mm. probably amongst the animals, just in a in a poverty situation. Um, mm. but he was blessed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and so it, it does, once again, the kingdom of God turns things upside down. Mm. Uh, let me ask you this, Rex. Is, is there a warning here for us beyond what you've mentioned so far? Um, the warning here is, uh, for me, the warning in this uh, teaching is that we, we, really, we really need to be aware that anything in our lives can distract us from our uh, relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes. And, and particularly here, wealth. And um, Anthony, I, I live in a third world country. And, you know, we send, um, we send uh, overseas Filipino workers by the thousands every day. And, and that's for you know um, for people to just be able to provide for what the, what their family needs. But when when they look at when we look at the pe- people and categorize them according to the accumulation of uh, wealth, and then use that as a determining factor for us to say whether they're blessed or not. Uh, we really need to be very careful with that. And and that even goes to, if I can use that analogy as well, because churches need to be careful with, with this mindset as well, where we look at mega churches, we look at everything that they have, and then we look at what we don't have, or what's not happening uh, in our churches, and then we begin to question, Lord, how come they seem to be more blessed than us? It, mm. It's the same thing. It's just taken in a community context. How yes. come they have a they have a nicer auditorium where we meet in a nondescript place? They have all these wonderful instruments, and we only have one acoustic guitar. And it's 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 that it's uh, that we need to be careful that we're not using wealth as the standard to measure God's love for us. Yes. Amen and amen, brother. That was a, that was an important word to end on. Um, God does not despise the day of small things, does he? Mm. And uh, often our churches are small. And when I say ours, I mean, I'm talking every denomination, the average church mm. size is small. And I, I liked what you said about sometimes we meet nondescript places that, mm. You know, it doesn't look like the most attractive thing yeah. to enter into, but Jesus mm. is the attraction, right? Yeah, I mean, it, right. when the love yeah. of Christ is made manifest in the mm. community of believers, it is attractive, and people yeah. are longing for community yes. to commune with some. Yes, yes relationship. And, and that we have in spades as we continue to surrender to the personal God who loves us so tenderly and yet so fiercely in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Well, my brother Rex, I am so grateful for you. Thank you for joining us on the Gospel Rebirth podcast. This has been a blessing. We've been longtime friends, and I, 
I'm so grateful for that and uh, long for our paths to cross again. But uh, thank you, brother. And what is our tradition? Yeah, absolutely. Our tradition here is to end in prayer. And so, Rex, if you'd be willing, would you pray over our listening audience? Sure. Our trying God, we are ever so grateful for who you are and how you move in ways uh, we may not fully comprehend in our lifetime. Thank you for the parables you've given us. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the illumination. Thank you for the discussion such as this because we're able to share and uh, thresh out some of the, the details, the nuances that can shed light on the things that uh, we need to hear and uh, have those seeds planted in our hearts. Lord, thank you that you love us all. Thank you that we are uh, special in your sight. Thank you that you are willing to reach out to us. Thank you that you You have loved us even before we became aware of the concept of love. Thank you that you are uh, walking with us. You are renewing us. You are showing yourself to us. You are allowing us to hear your voice in the different circumstances in our lives. So that again and again, we come to the realization how much much, uh, loved we are. How much... You are embracing us, uh, how much you are just drawing us to you so that we may fully experience your grace, uh, in, in, even in the most, uh, ordinary ways in our lives. God, would you bless the hearers of this podcast? Would you, uh, Open their hearts to receive and then and Holy Spirit, I pray that you will just continue to reveal uh, the rich riches of your word uh, to everyone, particularly to those who will be speaking and explaining and uh, preaching in the pulpit. Because we need we need your word. Uh, and so thank you that you will you always have unhindered access in all of us. Uh, thank you even that uh, your love does not, is not diminished by our capacity to understand everything. So I just thank you for all that you are to us and just surrender all that we are to you. Um, and bless you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being a guest of Gospel Reverb. If you like what you heard, give us a high rating and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. Share this episode with a friend. It really does help us get the word out as we are just getting started. Join us next month for a new show and insights from the RCL. Until then, peace be with you.